0: Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 6, Lesson 7. We are going to continue where we left off last time. Uh, However, what I want to do is um, just go back a little bit. Begin in um, page 26, because that's where all this began. Uh, The law regarding retaliation. I I know I've been racing through this because I really do want to get to some new things. Um, But at the same time, I I don't want to leave you uh, high and dry either. In Matthew 5, verse 38, Jesus says here, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, We looked at that in detail last time, so I won't go over that again. Uh, And then he goes and says in verse 39, he says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person. I'm in page 29 now. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And the implication is in readiness to endure a further blow. Uh, Remember again that it was repeated in um, the parallel account in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter six verse twenty-nine, where Jesus said to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer also the other, or offer the other also. Leon Morris pointed out, and we—that's this is on uh, page thirty now—that the cheek, uh, the cheek in is the Greek word, which is rather the jaw, and therefore it says Jesus speaking of a punch to the side of the jaw rather than a light slap in the face. You know, it's not like those little movies you see somebody takes off their glove and slaps him in the face, you know and says, hmm. "Okay, it's not one of those. This is a this is a, a good strike to the face. It is a kind of beating that Jesus endured in John chapter 18. You know, I just think it, Jesus had an idea of what was coming. And you know, he never preached something for you to do that he wasn't going to endure himself. And I think, you know, I have to believe That he knew this was coming. And that he was already explaining his inaction against people that were going to beat him. And do it unlawfully. You know, I mean, just ridiculous what what was happening here. And he he would still endure that because of what he's saying now. And he's giving us the insight into what actually, what was going on on the inside of him. While all of this was going on on the outside. And so, uh, again, this was in John chapter 18 and verse 22, uh, where it says, And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do, not, do you answer the high priest like that? Verse 23, Jesus answered him, uh, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? See, he, he answered him, but he did not you know, he didn't strike back. I also want to remind you that Jesus Christ is the captain of the hosts of all the armies of heaven. And I know as much as this guy struck him, I could just see Jesus seeing Michael with the sword in his hand going, I can take care of this. Say the word and he'll suddenly drop dead. And if they won't be able to find, there'll be a piece here and a piece there. You know. Remember, he's the one that took on the dragon and his angels and they didn't prevail. They don't know who they're messing with. And you know, you see those movies where somebody says, you really don't know who you're messing with, do you? You know, one of those things. Alright. So notice the situation. I just want to share those things with you. Notice the situation surrounding this incident. Jesus was being persecuted for righteousness sake. Now this is, this is a really key thing. He wasn't being persecuted because he did something wrong. He was being persecuted for doing the right thing. I think that is one of the most difficult things to endure, is when you do the right thing, and then you are persecuted, then you are attacked. And you want to say, you really want to say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Are you all with me? But please remember, whatever you sow, you reap. And the person that's attacking you is sowing a very bad seed. Yeah, that's right. And Galatians tells us it will come back as a harvest. We don't know what happened to this guy after this. I, I kind of wish I knew, <laughs> just, you know. But anyway, but remember again, you know, we're not to look at other people's destruction and rejoice in it. Amen? Uh, so, but we, we, can, we can guess that it wasn't good. Alright, <clears throat> so again, Jesus was being persecuted for righteousness' sake, and even though He had done nothing wrong, He still refused to retaliate, even though He did question their actions. This principle of being persecuted for righteousness' sake goes back to what Jesus said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, remember, verses 10-12, through 12, where He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I really want you to remember again that you are blessed if you are persecuted for this reason. Now you're not blessed if you're persecuted for doing the wrong thing. Some people, it tickles me. I see some people going, well, you know, I'm being attacked because, because I'm a Christian. But then you find out it's not because they're a Christian, because they did something naughty. Uh, that, that's not the same thing, okay? Uh, he, says, he says again, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't want to re-preach on all this, because we already looked at it. Verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So remember again, this is what we're talking about. That, you know, you are standing up for Jesus Christ. You're standing up for God, amen? And if you're being persecuted for that, well, you are Blessed. You will be blessed, and you have an eternal blessing waiting for you. Hallelujah. Verse 12, he says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. This is a very difficult thing to do when you're being persecuted. Okay? And the only way that you can do this, is if you know that there is a blessing, that there is a God who, who rewards those who diligently seek Him, especially this righteousness. Amen? Do you understand? That He will reward you. And that's why he says, be, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. He didn't just say you're going to get a reward. He said your reward is going to be great. Jesus, he, you know, if Jesus says it's great, it's great. We all don't know what all that means in our language. But if He said, this is God manifesting in the flesh saying it's going to be great. Trust me, okay? And we go, yes Lord, amen. So he says, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you're in great company. Amen, amen. Therefore, whenever you suffer insult or injury for doing what is right, know that you are in good company, and that you are, in fact, following the Lord's own commandment, as stated in John chapter 13, remember again, verses 34 uh, 34 and 35, where He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Do Do you understand the newness of the commandment wasn't to love? Because they already had that in Leviticus. You know, I never got a hold of this till later on. I realized that the newness of this commandment was He said... Listen, I'm going to give you a new commandment, and that is to love as I have loved you. There is the newness. Because you know, they kind of would love to a point. Remember Peter? You know, what if they you know, uh, do something bad seven times? Forgive him seven times? You know, and Jesus said 70 times seven. He goes, oh, I need a lot of faith for that one. You know, okay? I mean, it was hard enough seven times. But understand the kind of love now he's saying is not the kind of love that you think That everybody else has been talking about, I'm talking about the kind of love that I have for you. And I'm going to demonstrate that love by dying for you. So here's the new commandment. Get it? Okay. And he says, by this, all all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Alright, and in this way, because he said, as I have loved you. Alright, it is this kind of love that is needed to turn the other cheek and go on to endure... Further indignation and loss, or indignity and loss. Yeah, that's right. Or, what Jesus says next, in Matthew 5.40, and that is, if anyone wants to sue you, and take away, literally seize by force, your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Here again, we have Luke's parallel account. Remember again, saying in Luke 6.29, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, even though the order is reversed, it's essentially saying the same thing. Therefore, we will consider it from Matthew's perspective. So, first of all, to fully understand the significance of what Jesus is saying here, we need to know what a tunic and a cloak was. Tunic was like a shirt worn on the inside, and it was the only thing that could be legally taken as payment for an uh, unpaid debt. Okay, so that's the only thing. Now, I I don't know for those of you who have seen The Chosen, they brought that aspect out. And, and remember he said, anybody have extra clothes? And just took it out and handed it to the guy. I thought that was really, that was amazing. You know, and remember everybody started against clothes. We only need one, you know. <laughs> I thought that was beautiful. Um, and uh, so, in fact, that's where the saying, they took the shirt off my back came from. Okay. As to the cloak, it was the outer garment, and it was considered to be so indispensable, that even if it was taken as a pledge, it still had to be returned to the person before sunset. All right. Now, the reason being that for most people it was their only means of shelter during the night. And what Exodus chapter 2 refers to when it says in verses 26 and 27, If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? So it, it was, you know, you take this off and they're in big trouble. Uh, especially when it gets cold and so on, it was their blanket. It was their everything. Do you understand? Okay. Therefore, as Leon Morris puts it, its voluntary surrender is thus significant. With the Apostle John saying in First John three eighteen, he says, "Dear children, let us uh, stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions." Amen. Amen. This is the time to do that. Amen. Uh, you know, I just want to. I, I think it's really interesting that what's coming up. Uh, in the epistles of john for this sunday remember i told you that we were finishing one section off and what we were coming up to was a different section this whole new section is on love and i thought isn't this interesting how to show love during times of crisis is almost what i want to title it (laughs) okay and uh you know we really need to understand that it means that there is some sacrifice that might be involved as well and we also need to be you know we need to be realistic but we must not be afraid. Uh, and you know, we all need to know where we stand in our faith. And there are some things that it means that you know, we, even if we need to pray from a distance, at least we do that. If we, if we can't manage being right next to someone uh, because we don't know how our faith is, you know, as far as resistance and so on goes, we can still pray for people. amen. And we can still do that at a distance. So there are different ways that we can show love. Um, and so I think that what's important right now is to do everything that we can to show that love in whatever way that we can. Amen? And don't ever think, oh gosh, I don't, I, you know, I don't have enough faith to lay hands on somebody. And you know, right now the government is saying don't do stuff like that. Okay, but you know, I, I call it centurion faith. When the centurion said, speak the word only and my servant will live. And so that's really what I'm operating on now. I'm speaking the word and believing that God will honor this in the midst of what's going on because remember again the you know the bible tells us to honor the government listen to it Absolutely. do you all understand what i'm saying so you know we can't break one rule and you know believe god to bless something else so that's why i said we really need to know where we stand and and do our very best to navigate these waters so that we are not breaking rules on either side amen amen okay just uh, sorry just added that in so let's get back to this so in short if you is that where I am If you are going to retaliate, retaliate with love, not hate. Voluntarily surrendering what no one has a legal right to take from you. This leads to the very next thing that Jesus says in Matthew 5.41. And that is, he says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. You know, (laughs) okay. We see an example of what Jesus meant by compel in Matthew 27. Verse 32, where it says, Now, as they came out, they found a a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to to bear his cross. Okay? Uh, Compel means they force you. Mm. So, you know, Simon didn't want to do it. He goes, They said, No, you better, (laughs) or else, okay? As for the word compel itself, it refers specifically to the ancient practice of armies conscripting peasants by either force or coercion to carry their gear. So, if a Roman uh, I'll explain this a bit more. A Roman soldier, for example, was marching through a town on their way to or from a battle, he could pick a Jew from the side of the road and compel him to carry his gear legally for up to a mile. Even if the Jew was headed in the opposite direction, meaning that he would have to act, have to actually go on 2 miles in total out of his way. Remember, one mile there, one mile back. Okay, so it just really, it's really out of the way. And so, this, you know, what would happen often is that a person that was compelled would usually go the one mile, throw it on the ground, spit on it, and walk off. Okay? In his commentary, I'm going to get to something else in a minute. Uh, Leon Morris explains the word mile was a Roman mile, that is, 1,000 paces. That's about 4,854 feet, Okay, 1.48 kilometers. And so, often would be the case where at the end of the mile, I've got it here, haven't I? The Jew would throw the pack on the ground, spit on it and walk off. Okay, But that's not how a disciple of Christ is to behave. With Leon Morris saying that the right thing, Jesus says, is not only to put up cheerfully with the unreasonable and disliked demand, but go well beyond what is asked. The reason being that for the first mile, your adversary has authority over you. But for the second mile, you have authority over him. It's a very funny thing. And are actually in a position to influence him. See, because if you decide to keep going, when they, especially if they're expecting you to throw it on the ground and spit on it, and you go, oh, no worries, let's go for another mile, shall we? What happens? You know? The guy, you know, either thinks this guy is, doesn't have all these, you know, ducks in a row, uh, or if 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 the person next to him doesn't look like a dope, can I say it nice? Okay, <laughs> alright? And you know, they, they're they're a smart person and says, no, you know what? I'm gonna I'm, and you know I'm gonna carry this another mile for you. Happy to do it, boy. You know, you suddenly these are people too. The soldiers are people too. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And, you know, I'm sure that guy went home and said, Mabel, you wouldn't believe what happened today. This Jew guy, you know, picked up my... I I made him pick it up, but then he went another mile. Wonder what that was about, you know. See, that's how we win. That's how we get people thinking about things. When we do stuff that is unexpected. Amen? Amen. So... This leads to the final instruction that Jesus gives in Matthew 5.42 and that is give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away. The parallel verse in Luke 6.30 says that give to everyone who asks of you and from him who takes away your goods do not ask them back. You know this is really interesting because a lot of times we give and we want it back. You know what I'm trying to say? And that's okay but there's something going on here. That we need to see. There is a level of sacrifice that we give, and if it doesn't come back, we're not keeping score. We're not saying, oh, where is it now? Now, this is the third thing that I've, okay, and you know, all that stuff. Now, of course, be wise, okay, and make sure whatever you're doing, you're doing as the Lord leads. Because if the Lord leads you to do it, listen carefully, okay, if the Lord leads you to do it, if they keep it, God owes you. Did you get that? He will owe you. And I have seen things come back better than what I gave. It's happened to me so many times, it's ridiculous. You almost don't want them to give it back to you. <laughs> <laughs> because you think, oh, now God. <laughs> okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is the way God is. We still don't get it. We think God's stingy and that you know uh, God didn't so love us that He didn't give. You know, It's like God so loved that He gave. And every time you give, He's so excited he is just so thrilled that He just wants to give you so much more. Press down, share together, running over. He wants to give you so much more than you ever gave out. And that is everything. We think it's just money, but money is our training wheels. This is anything. Once you learn to give and once you learn to let go, it's like a child, you know, when you first tell him, let go, let go. No, it's mine, mine, M-I-N-E. And you write it on everything. You know what I'm trying to say? And as soon as they learn to share, it's a big thing to let go of something. And then the parent comes and gives, and you know, if some child destroyed it, and the kid's sitting there going, oh, great. And then, but mommy and daddy bring you a better version because you gave it up and somebody wrecked it. Ooh, we learn a lesson, don't we? Good to let go. Better things come. Amen. So I really need you to get that this is where it's coming from. This is the heart behind it. Amen. What Jesus says here in both accounts is derived from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Verses 7 and 8 where it says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. I really love that. Amen. This perfectly reflects God's heart and His desire for all those in need with Psalm 112 and verse 9 saying, He has dispersed abroad. He, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I want to say, Amen. In his commentary, I could preach on this, but I think you're getting all this. Amen? Alright. In his commentary, Leon Morris explains that the term give is unqualified. Jesus looks for generosity without conditions. Do I need to say it again? Okay. Generosity without conditions. And why he says in Luke 6.30, Do not ask them back. You know, you almost wish you didn't say that. Because you really want to ask them. <laughs> Amen. But don't. Like I said, you really need to be Spirit-led. No strings attached. When you give, let it go. Amen. And trust me, family. You really need to then go to God. If something, you really need something and it's not there. You need to say, God, you need to replace this. Don't get mad at the person because now you're missing on the provision. That's right. We put our eyes on the wrong thing. I'm teaching you to put your eyes on the right thing. So next time you start getting mad, think Pastor Roche. Oh, he said eyes are on the wrong thing. Okay, sorry Lord, I'm back. <laughs> okay, and I will promise you, according to what God has said, you will get something better back. Okay, amen. I'm trying to get you to the place where you're cheerful givers. Because God loves that kind of person. You know, amen. Okay. Uh, Similarly, ask is also unqualified. Jesus is saying that His people must be ready to give anyone who asks deserving or undeserving. And none who want to borrow are to be turned away. Morris says that the verb turn away clearly points to a refusal that should have no place in the life of the Christian. The follower of Jesus may perhaps be in a position to give the borrower exactly what He asks... But that doesn't mean that he rejects him. It may be only a kind word or good advice. Did you see that? It's not always things. You know, sometimes the hardest thing is to say a kind word. The hardest thing is to fight your feeling of, I want to push this person's face in. You know, they, when I was in trouble, they just jumped all over me. Now they're in trouble and looking for help. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? And you really don't want to give them a word of encouragement. And that is the time when you say something loving and kind, encouraging to them, and try to lift them up. That's what we're talking about as well. Amen? Not just things. Okay, so it may be only a kind word of good advice, but he gives what he can in the circumstances in which he finds himself. Let me just add something here. You know, one of the things that you can do, if you don't have the provision, you can pray. Mm. You know, you, uh, Don't say, I'm sorry I don't have it, and walk away. What you can do is say, Sorry, I don't have it, but can I pray with you that God gets it to you? Do you see that? Now you've joined with them and you're believing on, you know, with them for something to come to them, even though you don't have it. And it might be you know, a, a day or two before somebody comes and hands something to them. And they know it was in their faith. It was yours. Because maybe they don't have faith. You know, let me share this with you. Usually the people that are, going, that are in trouble have trouble believing. I'm just telling you. And the people on the outside can believe a lot more. Because they're not in that pressure condition. They're not in that place where everything is crazy. Do you understand? That's a gift you can give people. Amen? And also why you need to be in that place all the time, regardless of what's going on around you. But anyway, we grow into that. We grow into that. Okay. In short, we must not turn a deaf ear to those who genuinely need the kind of help we can give them. That's the spirit in which Jesus says again in Luke, uh, Luke's parallel account, this time reading in Luke chapter 6 verses 30 and 38, which gives us a more complex, a complete picture of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. And that is... I'm reading verses thirty and thirty-eight in Luke chapter six. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods do not ask back. Verse 38 Give and it will be given to you. Good me- do you see that? That's why you give, because it's coming back. Okay? And it doesn't come back the same. It comes back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. It will be measured back to you. Do you hear that? That is not a maybe, that is not a might, that is an absolute definite. Hallelujah. Okay, God will not be in debt to anyone. That's why Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, He who is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, and He will reward or repay him for what he has done. See, uh, let me share something about this verse. Notice when you give to the poor, it's not a presto and shaking together running over, by the way. Notice what it says, he who is kind to the poor, notice the next thing, lends to the Lord. You lend it to the Lord. And he will give that back. So whatever you give to a poor person, see this is the difference between giving tithes and offerings. Okay, I want you to catch something now. The difference between giving your tithes and offerings in church, because a lot of people don't get this. They don't have multiplied returns cuz all they're doing looking to do is give to a poor person. When you give to a poor person, that person there's a reward built into that already in that person looking at you and thanking you. And some people don't only want to do that because they want that immediate, you know, thanks, yeah. that immediate gratitude coming back. You know, they think well we give in church and it all disappears into the ether or something. You know, okay? Uh, and I don't like that. I know some people that are like this, and so you know, unless they can give somebody something, they don't want to give nobody nothing. You know, in, because they want that immediate, you know, gratitude sort of thing. That's why the you know it says that you do that and God will give you back the same amount. Do you understand the difference? But when you give to the Lord. He will that de- because see now you're not getting anything back straight away are you? Are you getting this? So what comes back is multiplied. Doesn't come back the same. It will never come back the same. It will come back pressed down, chained together, running over. Are you all here? Because you gave by faith now, and we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um. I said I'll keep it short. Um, let's take a break here. We'll come back and we'll go on to the next thing, the law of loving your neighbor.